Welcome to the Off Grid Texas Show, where we'll postulate the survivalist movement and tear open the condition that is the prepper mindset. We'll talk about gear, guns, packs, and kids, and everything in between. We can uncork our favorite bottle of conspiracy theories and enjoy that Kool-Aid together. So post up with me. I am your host, Cam O'Keefe. But first, we rock. Welcome to the OGTX Prepper Survivalist Show. The email to contact us is shtf at offgridtx.com. Preppers, survivalists, off-griders, homesteaders, and the like. Thank you for joining us today. And welcome to all the new listeners. We're excited to have you with us. Please spread the word about our show. Uh, we're new and we need the help to grow. Also, check off those stars on the podcast page. Um, helps us too as well. Those ratings, they do help us. Today's show will be all about the bug out bag. We won't spend an enormous amount of time and energy on this topic, but we can't in good conscience start the journey of preparedness without doing a show about kit. Those of you who are just starting out should be seriously considering your emergency plan, which needs to include your bags and kits. First, some newsworthy posts that relate to all preppers. Recently posted on Disclosed TV, government criminalizes off-grid living Tiny houses banned in the U.S. at increasing rate. What? Whether for political, ideological, or environmental or financial reasons, perhaps simply because of the thirst for a simpler life, more and more people across the United States are choosing to move off-grid into tiny homes. But the United States government is not too happy about the challenge this movement is posing on some of the biggest companies in America. That would be the utility companies and the banks. Tiny homes, because of their small size, mean that self-sufficiency and even living off-grid is entirely possible. However, it appears that this aspect of the tiny home movement has ruffled some feathers in the political arena, leading to a stamp down on tiny houses. At this current time, most towns in the United States have a minimum square footage requirement for single-family homes, often saying that tiny houses must be affiliated with a larger conventional property. There are also a huge number of varying laws across different states which require that all residential properties be hooked up to utilities, which is often an unnecessary cost for tiny home dwellers. Lawmakers have given various reasons for these draconian rules. Quite often has been suggested that allowing the construction of tiny houses will lead to a tidal wave of unsightly little cabins plunked down next to the traditional homes. That's quote-unquote. In Los Angeles, lawmakers have even gone so far as to describe tiny homes as a threat to public safety. It has been pointed out that U.S. lawmakers are often very keen to stamp out any innovations which might loosen the grip of the big energy companies over the lives and bank accounts of the American public. Last year, for instance, the state of Nevada increased the tax on solar customers by an extraordinary 40%, essentially driving the business out of the area to the huge benefit of the energy giant NV Energy, that's Nevada Energy, which now holds a monopoly over the state's energy market. There may be some hope, though, for tiny home movement. In Detroit, citizens are being actively encouraged by the government to set up these little homes and live as they choose. So, some hope there. In firearm news, I read a post recently that stated, It is a myth that concealed carry with an empty chamber is safer. 
For some, it is an accepted situation for everyday concealed carry to use a semi-auto firearm with an empty chamber. That is, no round in the chamber. If and when the time comes, the slide of the pistol will need to be racked to chamber around. The problem is this. Criminal attacks will usually happen very quickly and unexpectedly, often from close range. The bad guys have the first move. Then it's on you to realize it's happening and to react and overcome the attack. This may happen in seconds, and reaction time is crucial. There may not be enough time to draw a handgun and respond. If there's an empty chamber involved, there's additional steps in the reaction process and time to rack the pistol slide and to do it under the duress of extreme stress and adrenaline. Might those extra seconds possibly cost you? Is an empty chamber a safety issue? Well, they say those who carry with an empty chamber probably feel safer and that's why they do it. And this may not be true. The issue is this. A gun will not shoot by itself, ever. The issue is the handler. The only time that a pistol will go bang is when the trigger is pulled. If your finger isn't in the trigger guard, the rest is simply safe handling. This is one of those controversial arguments that's been around for as long as a semi-auto pistol has. And we'd love to hear your opinion. Let us know what you think. In other firearm-related news, New York Senator Kevin Parker is trying to get a bill passed through legislation forcing gun owners to buy $1 million worth of insurance. The bill reads, any person in this state who shall own a firearm shall prior to such ownership obtain and continuously maintain a policy of liability insurance in the amount not less than $1 million specifically covering any damages resulting from any negligent or willful acts involving the use of such firearm. It's a lot of words. Folks, they just keep pecking away at our Second Amendment rights. Next up, border news. Arizona Democrats claim no border crisis, then beg Trump for help with flood of migrants. Five Arizona House Democrats who have repeatedly denied that there is a crisis at the border have asked Homeland Security to help with the flood of immigrants at the southern border by appointing a federal crisis coordinator. On April 16th, the city of Yuma, Arizona declared an emergency over the influx of migrants. However, according to the Arizona Mirror, the town has yet to receive meaningful funding from the state or federal agencies. Wait, what border crisis? Many of the same Democrats who signed the letter have repeatedly denied that there is a crisis at the border, only to eventually call it a humanitarian crisis created by President Trump. For those who say the wall won't work, in 2013, Israel completed a 143-mile fence with Egypt that cost around $2.9 million per mile, which resulted in a 99% decrease in illegal immigration that even PolitiFact deemed true. Israelis Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted, President Trump is right. I built a wall on the Israeli southern border. It stopped an illegal immigration. Great success. Great idea. This is the OGTX Prepper Survivalist Show. Contact the show at shtf at offgridtx.com. So today we're talking about your kit, the bug out bag. Some say Bob. I don't, but some do. Variations of the bug out bag may include your EDC or everyday carry, the get home bag, the 72 hour bag, the get out of dodge bag, which I like to call the don't look back. Yeah, it's cooler, right? Think of your bug-up bag as a total survival kit for the situation you find yourself in. 
For instance, when I go out of town or say an hour or more away from home, an overnight stay, I repack my 72-hour bag to include clothing and hygiene items needed for three to, I don't know, let's say five days. I'm not packing kit for a zombie apocalypse or an attack from a foreign superpower or aliens. But if I'm enjoying a weekend away from home, I find myself surrounded by walkers or hiding out in the mountains with my favorite wolverines, or let's say running for my life during the Battle of Los Angeles, I'll be somewhat ready, ready to drink clean water, ready to keep myself warm and sheltered, have some calories to keep me going, clean clothes, uh, first aid, medical and prescription needs, self-defense, you know, and some semblance of peace of mind. All of this, of course, is to get me back to my home base within three to five days, because home is where most of us keep our long-term preps, where we keep our stockpile of guns and ammo. It's where our friends and family will know to find us. Now, many of you less experienced survivalists are thinking, three to five days to walk 60 miles? What? Keep in mind, if you're an hour or more away from home by car, you're 20 hours from home by foot, and that's walking continuously with a few rest and bathroom breaks. And that's as the crow flies in a straight line. And when was the last time you went anywhere in a straight line? Um, never. If you're in an SHTF situation with added NRL, no rule of law, and you do have access to your vehicle, you won't be able to just jump back on the highway and leisurely drive back home. In most cases, you're just not. Of course, if you're out in the country or in rural areas, you'll be way ahead of the game and won't have to worry about crowds. But most of us live in highly populated urban areas. The powers that be made damn sure of it. So let's put this into a hypothetical scenario. There you are, chilling at your friend's or family's house for the weekend. You've all stayed up late, then, you know, later than usual, eating, drinking, talking, that kind of stuff, maybe playing games, whatever, sitting around a fire, who knows, whatever. You wake up in the morning, and there's no power. An hour or so passes, and everyone is waking up to no coffee, no pancakes, or bacon. Cell phones aren't charged, and if they are, they really don't have any bars left. They aren't getting any service. The owner of the house goes door-to-door asking neighbors what's up. No one knows anything. So now you're a few hours into the day, the power has not been restored, and folks are getting restless. Uh, Cold showers. The water isn't running normally, or at all. Okay, Toilets aren't flushing. And if you got young children with you, the situation is becoming serious. The one person in your group who's weird enough, and I mean that one weirdo who's weird enough to be carrying cash, says, hey, let's go out. Let's get some food. So you all decide to get into your vehicles and drive out to to find some comfort food, okay? Uh, But guess what? The car doesn't start. None of the cars start. By this time, the whole neighborhood is out on the streets in a frenzy trying to figure out what's going on. And that's the exact moment when it hits you. You're in an SHTF situation. And sometime in the next following 24 hours, you're going to be in an NRL situation. And you will be fighting for your survival. So all your preps and gear and guns are at home, 60 miles away. It's midday. It's hot. You're tired, hungry, probably dehydrated from one of the too many drinks you had the night before. You realize that you need to get home if you want to survive. You and your friends round table a plan together and decide to hike it back to your place. The youngsters won't make the long journey, so they stay behind with a few of the adults. And if there are no preps in that house, they're all in real trouble. But right now, you've got to worry about getting home. Here's the math you'll be facing. 
The average person walks 3.5 miles per hour in perfect conditions with no gear to carry. If there is rain, snow, or heat, multiply the entire plan by two or even three. So 60 miles will take an average person 17.5 hours to walk in a straight line, taking no breaks. So you might as well call it 20 hours. I mean, and that's if you're healthy and you're determined. Every interaction with other people along the way will cost you an additional 10 minutes per meetup. And there will be thousands of people in your path. So avoiding other folks will be a strategic necessity. Uh, And it's also going to be a big challenge. So will you start the journey immediately or wait until early morning? Um, Waiting will give you the needed rest, but it will cost you, the group, your away team in food and water. Just remember, the more time you wait, the more consumables you will be using. Since that first day is almost over, you decide to wait until morning. That's smart, but you better make it early. Very early. You want to avoid as many people as possible, and most people will still be on a normal sleeping schedule. So they're all still going to be asleep. So you head out about 4 a.m., and at sunup, you've made good time. You're now 10 miles into the journey. Assuming you're a total badass, and most of us think we are because we watched Jericho, and we watched The Walking Dead, and we watched a shit ton of YouTube videos, so we're badasses, and we might be for the first 10 miles. After that, you'll be calling yourself a fat ass, at least I will. But let's assume that your away team is rocking it, and made very few stops, and didn't sleep at all, or didn't take breaks, or anything like that. Okay, you'll get to your house between midnight and 2 a.m. the following day. And this is very highly unlikely for the average person. Most of us will take 30 to 40 hours to make the trip on foot with sleeping, eating, rest and hydration stops, um, scouting. You're going to need to scout uh, interactions with other travelers. And don't forget, you'll need to evade or defend yourself from marauders who are trying to take your stuff. That's a real threat. This is a no rule of law situation. And an NRL situation brings out the predators in our society. They will be out there. They'll be hunting you. So you woke up Saturday morning in trouble. By midday Saturday, you're in SHTF. By Sunday morning, you're trekking 60 miles in NRL. And if you're lucky, you're getting home late Monday night. Now you'll spend days four and five licking your rooms and recovering from the experience. And days four and five are crucial survival days in SHTF. This is the point when most people break down. They've all run out of food, water, medicine. Their children, their families are hungry. They're hurting. They go into panic mode and empty the shelves and pantries of every store, restaurant, and home within striking distance. And your home in bed, dehydrated and sick from an unprepared 60-mile trek through hell. So now do you see why preppers are always talking about bug out bags, get home bags, and the 72 hour bags? Your kit and your regularly scheduled training with your kit is how you survive the first week of SHTF. And that's just the first week. Imagine what it will take to survive the next three months. Next, we'll talk about what should be in your 72 hour bag. Okay, this is the OGTX Prepper Survivalist Show. Contact the show at shtf 
at offgridtx.com with comments, questions, and um, whatever is on your mind. The website launches in a few days. Go to offgridtx.com and join Offgrid Texas on our quest to push the prepper survivalist community into the mainstream. So today we're talking about your kit, the bug out bag, specifically the 72 hour bag. The Urban Dictionary defines the bug out bag as essentially a survival kit prepared in advance and packed in a type of bag for fast retrieval in emergencies and are often packed to allow 72 hours of self-sustainability in the event that individuals must leave home and proceed to an alternate location. Wikipedia defines it similarly as a bug out bag or bob is a portable kit that generally contains the items one would require to survive for 72 hours when evacuating from a disaster. The focus is on evacuation rather than long-term survival, distinguishing the bug-out bag from a survival kit. Early on, the term bug-out was used by the U.S. Army to designate alternative defensive positions and has since then become standard operating procedure involving the bug-out location, a method of withdrawal and the minimal supplies needed to withdraw quickly but still survive the field. Here are the four most important categories of items you must have in your survival bag. These are derived from the rules of three. Again, these are the rules of three. Three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. Simply put, your body cannot survive more than three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. So air, shelter, water, and food are where you need to start when adding items to your bag. We put them in that specific order, keeping in line with the rules of three. The remaining things that you will need are first aid, clothing, defense, tools, rope, lighting, heat, and fire starting, cooking tools, navigation, hygiene, and personal luxuries. The number of items and manufacturers that make up this list are astronomical. We will only mention the list by itself. We're not going to mention the manufacturers at this point in time. Besides, look, researching this on your own is not only fun, but it's also a necessary training. You gotta go through it, it's important. When choosing items and brands, keep in mind the weight and size of the items you choose. Remember, you have a limited space and more weight requires more energy to carry it. So, from the rules of three, air, air filtration. Okay, get a few of those NBC particle and gas masks. That's nuclear, biological, and chemical. Really good, get a bunch of those, they're cheap. Shelter, a small tent or a tarp to shelter you from the elements. Uh, A few of those emergency blankets, that's the thin, um, very effective silver mylar style wraps or a small but good sleeping bag. Remember, light and small. Water, water filters are a must. Water purification tablets are also important. Also, get a few packed survival water pouches. Those are really good as well. Kind of expensive, but well worth getting a couple of them. Food. MREs, snacks, freeze-dried food packs are all popular and widely available. Keep in mind, this is a 72-hour pack. You don't need a porterhouse steak. You don't need potatoes on the side. In my opinion, in a 72-hour bag, MREs are the best choice. You won't need cooking equipment. Buyer beware, MREs have a shelf life. And lots of folks out there are selling outdated kits. So check the dates before you make the purchase. And by the way, I don't think MREs are a good idea for long-term food storage. Um, They do have an expiration date. They will go bad. They're not the best thing for your body, that's for sure. They're good for a quick meal. Definitely good for a get-home bag or a 72-hour bag. 
Okay, so some of the things you're going to need are, let's, let's just go down this list. Survival kits, cooking gear, maybe. Fire starters, definitely. Fire kits, waterproof matches, for sure. Hand warmers, foot warmers, body warmers. Yep, that's nice. Flashlights and headlamps, good to have. Headlamps with that red light that's sort of stealth mode. Um, this is to be less conspicuous and it also to protect your eyes' natural night vision. Another good thing to have. A folding pocket knife and a full tang straight blade survival knife. Have both. Have more than both. Have four or five. The, the more knives you have, the better. A small axe, a folding saw, and a shovel. Well, they're nice to have, but they add a lot of weight to your kit. I prefer a saw-backed full-size machete to do the job of all three. You can dig with it, cut with it, chop with it, and all that good stuff. Also, remember to sharpen your blades and the saw teeth before putting them in your kit. Many of those knives do not come pre-sharpened. They're just, you know, a little bit sharp. First aid kits, painkillers, tourniquet, surgical gloves. All these things are important. Get them all. Don't ever chintz out on your first aid, especially those painkillers. You'll be hating life if you get a toothache right in the middle of your trek. Base layers if you're in a cold climate. Lightweight rain gear. Gloves, hat, a shamag. Appropriate for the location, of course. Paracord, duct tape. Multi-tool, defensive gear like a firearm, taser, or pepper spray, or all three. Personal hygiene items, this is important, and antibacterial wipes, sunscreen, another important thing, especially if you're in a location that's got lots of sun. For navigation, you'll need a GPS or maps and topography. Uh, you'll definitely need a compass, no doubt about that. Remember your prescription drugs and glasses if you need them. A signal, mirror, uh, a whistle, they can both be handy a solar charger, and cords if you're using a GPS or a cell phone, an emergency binder with police, firehouse, hospital, and 24-hour emergency care locations, food stores, and outdoor firearm store locations. These are all important places. You'll want to know where they are. A contacts binder with current friends and family's contacts coded for security. Remember, keep your friends safe. Again, keep in mind that this is a list for your 72-hour bag, so don't stress about the contents and in what order you collect the gear. Remember to start with the rules of three items. These are the life-saving necessities you can't afford to forget. Consider going through your bug-out bag once each month to inspect the contents, and you can reevaluate your needs at that point. Your needs might change, so always go through it and recheck it and test the items that are in it. That's important, too. This is a helpful habit to acquire. I prefer to DIY all my bags, kits, and gear choices, um, but there are many pre-packed bug-out bags on the market. They're not bad. I mean, they've got the essentials. Uh, there's some dealers will even allow you to custom build your own kits from the bag to the bones, and th now that's really good. These custom bags are awesome, and they may seem expensive, but the DIY method is actually more costly. We'll talk about all the other versions of the bug-out bag at another time. Um, these are going to include the get-home bags, the day bags, EDC bags, your auto bags, um, all that kind of kit. So for now, that's going to be it for our show today. I would like to thank you all for joining us. The OGTX Prepper Survivalist Show is presented to you by Off Grid Texas. The website launches in mid-May, so be sure to stop by at the countdown page and subscribe. Get on the email list. Membership is free, as is the site and all its content. Remember to contact us at shtf at offgridtx.com and visit us at offgridtx.com. Thank you for listening to the OGTX Prepper Survivalist Show. We are Off Grid Texas, prepping, surviving, living, thriving. <laughs>